This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression, and this podcast aims to share it all. From personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we have a guest who's sharing her personal story through postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD. Jessica Cuomo is on to share with us what it's like to have postpartum OCD and the things that she would really like for people to understand about dealing with perinatal mental health, very specifically the importance of seeing a mental health professional. She's also sharing with us about her memoir, a Dance in the DSM, My Tango with Postpartum Depression, Anxiety, and OCD. After graduating from Fairfield University with a bachelor's in English and a concentration in creative writing, she went on to teach high school English for six years, library science for two years, and currently teaches communications at a local high school. When Jessica had children, she experienced her first mental health crisis, which inspired her to share her story in hopes of helping others who suffer from mental illness. What I really appreciate about Jessica sharing her story is that discussing intrusive thoughts and how to overcome the shame and guilt of those is really challenging. And in order to do that, we kind of have to face it ourselves and understand that something is going on for us that we need and deserve help for. So we're going to get into Jessica's story and hear more about her experience. So thanks to Jessica for coming on and sharing her story. Let's hear from her now. Welcome, Jess. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful that you're coming on to share your story. And I think it's the stories of people who've gone through postpartum OCD um, and depression, of course, um, are really important to hear because we hear tend to hear so much more about depression and anxiety and I think when people hear OCD, they're like, oh, what does that mean? What What is that? Or they might have some misunderstandings about it. So I'm really grateful that you're going to share your experience and help help people understand it better. Thank you so much for having me to talk about it. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So wherever you feel comfortable to start with your story, you can just launch right in. Sure. So I had my first daughter 11 years ago. Um, and once so I got pregnant 12 years ago and the mental health landscape in America was significantly different, you know, at that point. And, you know, it's actually improved. We still have a long way to go, but it's <laughs> improved a lot in 10 years, which is pretty great. I've been relatively asymptomatic for most of my life. I had had a few acute episodes. Now looking back on my life, knowing what I know now, you know, I can see different flare ups of, you know, mental health episodes, but I was pretty much subclinical until pregnancy. And right away, I had some perinatal um, anxiety and OCD and intrusive thoughts. I didn't know what they were at the time. But this is during pregnancy or postpartum? During pregnancy. Uh Yeah. So I had, I always say this wrong. It's like hyperstasis graviosis or something. I had the thing where you throw up from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. Yeah. Hyperemesis gravidarum. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> what I I can't even say it. It was so it was so bad. Um, yeah. Like if my Zofran wore off at three in the morning, I was waking up throwing a bile at three in the morning. Like Aww. it was it was like the craziest thing. Um, my mother had that too, so I I, I mm. had expected you know that that was going to happen. But I also started to have. Um, I'm going to date myself. This whole conversation is going to be <laughs> super dating, by the way. But you know, the pregnancy center was really big. And, you know, 12 years ago. So I really started to have these like intrusive thoughts about like, and just paranoias about what I was eating, you know, mm-hmm. what I was putting in my body, um, what shampoos I was using, what, you know, detergents and just like things that could hurt the baby. And so I was really cautious about that. You know, I'm very active and physical and I was, you know, worried. I was like helping my husband tile our bathroom. And I was like, oh, I lifted too many boxes, you know, just like little paranoia type things that had, I'm neurotic. I'm Italian American, like that neuroses is like our soup breakfast cereal. And so (laughs) it just kind of, you know, I was hard to tell what that was from, you know, whether it was clinical or not. Um, And then it just got unmanageable kind of at that point where not unmanageable, but it got really bad. And my brother had worked at McLean mental, mental hospital in Boston. So he Mm -hmm. had some awareness of mental health issues and some of these things. So I would always like call him in panics, like, you know, I ate a piece of ham. I think I killed the baby. And he'd be like, okay, like you need to just stop, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's really intense. Yeah. So he helped me significantly, which was amazing. And so, you know, the once I, and I also have the, I confess on confession. I always joke. That's like the offshoot of being Catholic is one of my OCDs (laughs) is I have to confess everything. Like, you know, like let me tell you everything about my life. And so it got better throughout the pregnancy. It ebbed and flowed. Um, As I got closer to delivery, it, you know, got a little bit worse, obviously, as you get nervous to give birth for the first time. And then when I did deliver things were, you know, obviously delivery is intense. Mine was a little bit more, you know, I pushed for like three hours and 45 minutes and was awake for a very long time, didn't sleep a lot. And then, you know, symptoms kind of flared after that. Once my daughter was born, I felt this like intense wave of like hormones hit. That's what I experienced Mm -hmm. it as. I don't know Mm -hmm. what it actually was. Yeah. And so it felt like I was like going down a roller coaster of hormones and I was terrified of SIDS. So absolutely paranoid. Like, you know, you have no control and your baby could just like die at any minute was what I thought. So I 
did all of the things, you know, I wrapped her like a cigar, like mm. put the binky in the mouth, like mm-hmm. leaned her up, like all the things that I could do. She, I say she like slept like a aesthetic monk or something like it was crazy. <laughs> and then I slept with my hand on her, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that she was breathing. Mm-hmm. And so I was not sleeping. Um, and no. Yeah, no. So by like day five, obviously things were not going great. As far as that goes, I had been discharged and I had seen Shutter Island. I don't know if you're familiar with this movie, but I had no clue about postpartum psychosis, but all of a sudden I was terrified of it. And I thought that I would, I thought it was like, like a possession, like you would just become psycho, like you would become psychotic, Uh kill your kid and then like wake up from it and be like, Oh my God, what did I do? So I was like terrified. So my husband was like, you need to call your midwives. I was like, okay. So I called my midwives and one of them was on call. She was like delivering and it was very hard to get a hold of. And so she said to me, um, you know, do you have a history, a family history of severe mental illness, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, anything like that? And I was like, no. And so she's like, okay, you're fine. You're going to be fine. Like, okay. you know, that you're, you're, you're not going to have it. It's fine. I was like, okay, okay, cool. Mm. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, so I felt really good about that because I listened to medical professionals and that was what I had needed to hear at the time. So I was like, good, we're good. Mm-hmm. Life's good. You know, and it slowly got better and it was slow. Like it was a slow progression. I started to sleep a little bit more. She did say come in for a two week screening. So I was like, okay, I'll make it to the two week screening. And I was feeling a little bit better to the two week screening. I was sleeping like a little bit more. The SIDS thing had calmed down a little bit, not much, but it was okay. But I went to the screening and 12 years ago, the screening was for postpartum depression. Yeah. That was what it was. Like, are you not experienced? Like, do you find things funny that you used to find funny? And it's like, well, I mean, my day to day is not funny, but like, if I watch a funny TV show, I'm going to laugh at it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I missed a lot of the symptoms, right? Because mine was OCD, you know, like, yeah, it's funny, but if I think about my kid not breathing, I'm going to go into a full blown panic. So life got better. My baby was colicky, so that you know sucked intensely. And yeah. she, like, you know, that it's normal to not find an infant that screams in your face while she's awake enjoyable. Right. Um, <laughs> it's not right. enjoyable. We got her on like Prevacid, which really helped. Like, she stopped screaming in my face. Like, I called the doctor in tears, like, my baby's mad. I gave her life. And he was like, yeah, you got to come in. <laughs> We got to get her or something. And she was better. Like she ended up being good and we got into a nice rhythm. And then I went back to work. And at about how how old was she? She was, I want to say like, I went back 13 weeks, 14 weeks, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, So I, relatively speaking, I had a nice maternity leave. I was only supposed to have like a six week maternity leave because I'm a teacher and basically like a factory worker from the 1800s <laughs> and they want you back at work. <laughs> They want you back at work as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. I love my job. But maternity leave was pretty draconian. So I went back and I had real guilt about that, like real aggressive. You know, my mom was a stay at home mom, you know, in the Italian American community a lot back in the day, like you stayed home, you took care of your kids. Um, Motherhood was the pinnacle of everything. So I had a lot of guilt about that. And were other people adding to that like making you feel guilty about it or you know like oh you should stay home or that kind of stuff not as much no because most people um 
that I'm friends with most of my friends, I was one of the first people to have a mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, you know, I was kind of the pioneer of all of this. So <laughs> no one really had too much to say. And in some ways, the expectation is to go back to work, you know, like, yeah. you know, other than outside of, you know, my family. Um, so it was kind of a mix of, you know, I, I, I needed to go back to work financially. I wanted to stay home. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wanted, uh, you know, there was, I was very conflicted about the whole thing, but then the stress of it was too much. And around five months, four or five months, I remember it was on Mother's Day. I joke, it's like, I I write about it in the book. Like it's like the worst Mother's Day present ever. I started having um, intrusive thoughts about becoming, about being a pedophile. Mm -hmm. So you know, there had in my family, there had been an instance of someone being assaulted, a child being assaulted, and it basically like ruined that person's life and then ruined everyone's life around that person. And it was just like so intense. So I've always grown up that like, you know, pedophilia is like the worst thing in the entire universe. Like, that's just what it is. And it is the root of all problems and yada, yada. So when your mind is like tricking you into thinking, that you are a pedophile, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no rational reason. Like there's no rational thing. Like I don't, I'm a high school teacher. I don't even like, other than my children, I don't even really like, like little kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh-huh. I had to teach in like an elementary school setting once. And it's like, oh my God, is this over? Like I'm like watching the clock, like, uh, please, Jesus, yeah. give me strength. Get me out of here. You know, right. like, right. so the fact that I could even like my rational mind knew that that wasn't a thing, but I wasn't in a rational mind. Right. Yes. Yes. So it's like you trick yourself into things like that. And, you know, you have these like visual pictures. I used to watch like law and order special victims unit, which was always a terrible idea, but like, you Mm -hmm. know, you'd have these like pictures flash in your head of like a dead body of a kid somewhere. And I was like, what kind of monster does this happen to, you know, like, this is crazy. Like I'm, I'm a monster. And I was like, you know, if this is my reality and this is who I am, I'm going to kill myself. And so I, I luckily have I'm also confession. So I confessed to my parents and my parents, believe it or not, didn't make me feel better because I was like, I'm a pedophile and I'm like going to kill myself. And they were like, we love you anyway. We don't care who you are, like blah, 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 which was not what I wanted. You know, like it was the most loving thing in the entire world that you could say to someone, but it like didn't make me feel better. Right. So I confessed it to my brother and he was like, Oh, Jess, hmm, that's OCD. Like that's like a textbook one. And I was like, Oh, it is. <laughs> and he was like, Yeah. And the only thing I knew about OCD was from like watching The Aviator. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I have, my house is a mess. Like I am not a stereotypical, mm. like I don't fit any of the things I kn- thought I knew about OCD, right? right? Like right, I don't right. wash my hands that much. My house, I wish my house was clean. So he's like, well, what are you doing to avoid? Like if you, cause I didn't like giving baths. I didn't like changing diapers, you know, things like that. And I was like, and I was like, but I'm not, my house isn't clean. I can't be OCD. And he's like, well, what are you avoiding? And I'm like, well, I don't like doing this. I sleep with a bra on. He's like, okay, you need to stop sleeping with a bra on or it's going to turn into a winter coat. He's like, you know, like you need, like, so he kind of Mm -hmm. gave me the tools as like a lay person to be like exposure therapy, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's like, you need, you need to go see someone. Like you need to like go get professional help. So I was like, okay. So I found some help and I'm sure you know this because you work in the mental health field, right? That 
not all help is created equal. Right. And yeah. and not all professionals are. Um, and my therapist was wonderful. She was very, very nice, but this was not her strong suit, I would say. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't her area, it wasn't her area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And and I don't fault her for that. I would say probably postpartum OCD is not a lot of people's expertise mm-hmm. in, fair, mm-hmm. in fairness. And so I was like, you know, I didn't want to go on medicine because I didn't want to stop breastfeeding and there was no universe. If I wasn't eating ham, I wasn't taking an SSRI while I was breastfeeding. Like, mm. like uh, that wasn't going to happen. I don't care what you showed me. Right. So it right. was like, I was going to suck this up and make it through. Um, and then after my daughter weaned, you know, the dep- I had done some like CBT techniques, um, cognitive behavior therapy techniques. I had read this really super helpful book that's eluding me right now, but it, you know, it talks about like the, f- the four steps, brain lock, that's it, brain lock, freeing yourself mm-hmm. from obsessive compulsive disorder. And that had really helped me. Um, but by November, like by 10 months, I was not well. And finally, I went on medication, which I had mm. really tried very hard not to do. I exercised right. like crazy. Like I really went above and beyond to not do that. And it's very common with like OCD. I was on, I had to go on a high dose and it took it a long time for it to like mm-hmm. really work. But it finally did kick in and I got better, significantly better. Life became. Can I ask what, um, like, what did you notice initially in terms of relief or feeling better? So, well, A, the intrusive thoughts settled down. Like you might even still have them, but you could like flick them away. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's mm-hmm. OCD. You know, I'm like gone, mm-hmm. bye. Um, and that made life so much better um, mm-hmm. being able to do that. You know, f- just being able to, because by the end I was starting to get depressed, you know, like mm-hmm. I was starting mm-hmm. to not care about fashion, which I always loved or like what I was eating, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd lost weight, which was like, you know, yeah, you lose weight. And it's like, but I don't even like, I'd rather be fat and happy than like, damn miserable, <laughs> you know, totally. Yes. Yeah. So it was just like one of those kind of things. And so that kind of stuff went away. I was able to like, enjoy life more. The intrusive thoughts got better. I not only like, cause in the beginning of CBT for me, like I could tell myself things like, you're clearly not a pedophile. Like this is stupid. Right. But I didn't feel it. Like mm-hmm. I knew it, but mm-hmm, I didn't mm-hmm. feel it. Right. But once the serotonin got in, then it was like, oh yeah, that's really embarrassing. Like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. really stupid. Like, you know, you feel stupid. Cause it's like, that was so great. Like that was so, so irrational, you know? So things yeah. you could get perspective on what sure. was irrational. <laughs> I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? 
You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Sure. Like, but to, to your point, that is such a real struggle that to be able to know something and that almost can, if it feels so different than what you know to be true, that can almost make it feel, you know, that much worse. Cause yeah. you're like, I just, I know that this doesn't make sense. Why yeah. can't I just like feel it? Yeah. 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 Or not think it anymore or get over yeah. it, quote unquote, get over it. Or, you know, all those things you tell yeah. yourself. Oh, it's hard. Yeah. And it's you and like with OCD, like it's like this string that you just want to pull. Like, you know, it's not right, right? You know that if you pull the string, it's going to unravel the sweater. But you're like, but that little freaking string is there. And I just want to like, I just want to tug it. So like that, it's like the biggest itch you've ever encountered. But you know, if you itch it, it's going to turn into a gunshot wound. You know, mm-hmm. but like you just want to itch it, mm-hmm. like it's the itchiest thing. So it's like that, that, like the that, obsessive that. part, and then yeah, not doing like, the compulsive part, or just think about it. Like mm-hmm. yeah, because to me it was like just think about it. Okay, just for one minute. Well, how many pedophiles live on? Or could potentially live on the block. Start thinking. Okay, well if there's I see six percent in the population, and that means how many people live on? You know, like that thought. Like you just mm-hmm. want to pull the string so that yeah. it goes. Right. right. And and like when on the medication for me, I was like, all right, well, there's a string coming out of the sweater. That's life. You know, like, don't touch mm-hmm. it. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yeah. I know it's going to pull like so much that's easier. Life, you know, yeah. like it was just it made things so much easier. It did. It made like life more enjoyable and it took a lot of the guilt away. Yeah, it was it was a big game changer. But again, I went through a primary to do that. And so she had said to me, I was like, you know, I knew I wanted to have two kids. And I was like, if I, and that was such a, that was such like a night, it was amazing. Like my child was amazing. And my experience with her was amazing, but everything else was such a nightmare that I was like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Like I can't physically mm, get myself have a second. back into it to have a second. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I got, like, I got, we got to do this like soon or I'm not going to do it. And the primary was like, oh, well, you only need to be on it for like three to six months and then you're good to go off. Because that's what happens when you go to a primary doctor for psychiatric help. So it was great. And so I did (laughs) it. I went off. I got pregnant right away. And I felt better. Like the, I was like, I was super confident. Like I was like, I got this. I know what's going to, I know what's happening. I have a 50, 50 percent shot of this happening again. It's not going to happen. I know what's happening. I'm going to do everything right this time. Like I know what this is. Mm -hmm. The pedophile stuff was gone. The SID stuff was significantly gone. Like 
I got this. And I was good. Like I had a good pregnancy. I mean, I was a whale, but I was like, I mean, I gained like 90 pounds or something insane, but I was like, I didn't even care. Like life was like good. And then I had the baby and the delivery was better. I was able to like not use drugs, which I was really excited about to like have a natural childbirth because I wasn't able to do that with my Mm. first. Mm. Like I I was like killing the game in my mind. Like, you know, and my two-year-old, she was two at the time. Once my baby, once the, my second daughter was born, my two-year-old turned into like a psycho. She was like, <laughs> she went into like the terrible twos. Yeah. I thought she may have been suffering from sociopathy, but I had the easiest baby in the world. So I'm like killing this parent, this motherhood game. I'm taking them to library classes. Like life feels good. And then at six weeks, I stopped sleeping completely. Yikes. Boom. Oh. It was like, hammer immediate shot in hindsight it wasn't immediate like there's always little things that creep up right Mm -hmm. that but but like you you know things start to get upsetting so you avoid them like Mm -hmm. i read Mm -hmm. something and it's like oh i can i can't watch that on tv that's gonna upset me do you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like little things like that until it gets to the point where you can literally only watch project runway on tv (laughs) you know what i mean like that's the only thing you can watch because everything else is upsetting you know but like yeah at the time you don't realize that that's what it is Uh because it's like these gradual things so at six weeks i completely stopped sleeping um and was not and then just wasn't doing well my therapist retired went into private practice went into like institutional practice or whatever i always Mm -hmm. joke i scared Mm -hmm. her out i scared her out of practice (laughs) and then my midwives were lovely and great at birth and should not have been giving me postpartum care, in my opinion. You know, they just weren't equipped. They gave me Ambien to help me sleep, which did not help me sleep at all. For whatever reason, apparently I was just like, you hear those stories of like people still operating machinery, but they're asleep. That did not happen. I was wide, wide awake, wide awake. Wow. Um, not yeah. like not feeling tired. Oh no, I was exhausted all the time. Oh, okay, I felt, got it. I felt like a I felt like mm, mm. Exa- like exhausted. Like my bones were tired. My yeah, hair was tired. Yeah. Like I was exhausted, but I couldn't shut down. Like the shutting down was not going to happen. And so I went into the midwife. She gave me I think like twenty five milligrams of Zoloft. I want to say, or something mm, like that. Mm. Something that like, in, when I finally got to see a psychopharmacologist, he was like, yeah, that's not a therapeutic dose for like an ant. I was like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> good, good, good. Right. So I ended so I had to stop breastfeeding, which I felt like huge trauma about. This is still like how far into postpartum? This is now, this is now <clears throat> six weeks postpartum with my second, with my second. <clears throat> and so I had to stop breastfeeding because I wanted to take a Xanax and I wanted to go on Zoloft and I wanted to go even like, and I didn't care what anyone said. Like if I took any medicine, I was like, Nope, not doing it. My Mm. cousin's almost a genius and she was bottle fed. She's fine. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I weaned and then I would take like a Xanax and it didn't even like dent the anxiety that I was feeling. And then I would, and then I would feel significantly worse afterward. Like, I would like re I would rebound mm-hmm. and then be like like crazy. So I went back to my primary, which was what, what the person who had helped me last time, and she gave me trazodone, and I finally like got some sleep, mm-hmm. got 
felt felt good. And she was like, she put me to a psychopharmacologist and she was like, you need to go see like a professional. This is not my area. Cause I had called her like mm-hmm. twice about like, you know, like, what do I do or whatever? And she was like, yeah, this is not for me. Like you need yeah. to yeah. for real. So I did. Um, I got in with someone and he was great. And we started the long road to recovery and it was a long road, you know, to I, like I said before, I need high doses and it took me months to get better. And that was because you have to, you had to ramp up dosing. So like he started me on a high dose. He started me like I was on Trazodone. Then he started me on 20 milligrams of Lexapro. He was like, Mm -hmm. we're going to hit this hard. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know, you're, you're going to battle through it because that's what it is. And like, so I tried that. And even with that, like I had small ticks that you could tell it was working. Like I was starting Uh to sleep a little bit better. Like, mm. but I was still like, I was living in a panic attack. Oh my gosh. Like, I don't How even know. How long did like, that phase last? That like living in a panic attack feeling? Probably a month. It's a long time. Yeah, it was real. It was real. And, and like the, it was so bad that like the OCD didn't even, I, I kind of almost even stopped having OCD because like, I knew what, I, like anytime I started to feel it, I was like, oh, that's OCD. But it was like, but I still want you to feel terrible anyway. Oh gosh! <laughs> like, so you like, had like the anxiety, but you didn't have the you didn't have to like, like interest- obsess. I guess the obsession was: Am I ever going to sleep again? And am I uh, ever going to get better? Am I ever going to get better again? So yeah. those were like yeah. my loops. Yep, you know yep. what I mean? Those mm-hmm. those were the thought loops that I was having. But I was just basically like living in a panic attack all the time. You know that heightened awareness, the heightened heartbeat, mm-hmm. the. Mm-hmm. It just felt like my insides was on fire all the time, you know? That's brutal. And, and yeah, still not like you're not sleeping still, really, like through the night. So, or... so the trazodone <laughs> helped. I was sleeping. I started sleeping. Like it wasn't amazing sleep. It wasn't the most restorative sleep in the universe. But like mm-hmm. eventually it became like I was sleeping okay. Like mm-hmm. I would wake up in the morning. I always like would joke that like the mornings were the worst. Like I would like wake up at like five in the morning and like, just like want to cry. Mm. Like, just like, just like, I can't make it a day today. Oh my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so intense, but, um, you know, I would exercise like a lot to try and like get the, you know, they say like, like an hour of exercise is like four hours of an SSRI. So mm-hmm. I would, I got like beach body on demand and like, was oh. like, like boot camp crazy in my living room. Like, if just you didn't trying know to know I was crazy. I, you could tell by looking at oh. me. Like I was, <laughs> I was like working out so hard, and it helped. It did help, like significantly. Um, and I just like crawled my way back. It probably took like six months to get like relatively back. I had like a in the process of all of that with the med management stuff. I panicked about taking the trazodone and the Lexapro at the same time. So I was like, I'm not going to take both. Like I don't want to be over medicated. So I was like, I'm going to just like do one. And when I started titrating off of the trazodone, I mistook like trazodone's non-addictive forming, but I took the insomnia because I would like wake up in a panic. Mm. And I thought that that was me having withdrawals from the trazodone. Oh. <laughs> like I didn't know what was happening. Right. Um, so that was something you kind of decided to do on your own with, without yes. like the, the psychiatrist didn't know. He was like, Trazodone's non-habit forming, like mm-hmm. you can be on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but I don't want to be on it. Mm. And he was like, okay, well then I guess don't take it. 
Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, it was kind of like, what are you going to do at that? I don't know. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, all right, well don't take it then I guess. So then I was like in my mind convinced that I had formed a habit to it. So I was like, not going to take it. And then, Oh, I see. So in the process of this, like not sleeping, I had a ovarian cyst burst. Oh and- my gosh. <laughs> and it, oh. so I ended up, so I ended up going to the ER and in my mind, I couldn't I tell if this was in my mind. Like, I didn't know oh. what was like, is this actual pain? That, am I in labor? Like, could I be in labor? Could I be pregnant again? Oh, like, gosh, I'm, right. I'm four months postpartum. Like, how is this happening? Like, can you get pregnant when you're pregnant? Like, <laughs> I'm like <laughs> panicking. Like, uh-huh. I'm like, what is going on <clears throat> in my life right now? Yeah. Yeah. It was just like really intense. So I ended up like at that moment and I was still doing really poorly because this was at the beginning of just, I had just started seeing this psychopharmacologist like two weeks, yeah. a week prior uh-huh. when the cyst burst and everything. Oh my gosh. And I had been up for like 24 hours from the hospital and my husband was like, I got to go to work. And so he was like handing me the baby and my two-year-old and I was, and I had come home from the hospital and I was like, I can't do this. Like, you can't, I can't be with them alone all day today. Like I, I can't do it. And he was like, all right, well, I'll take a couple of hours off, go get some sleep. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then like, I went to go lay down and he took them for like a walk. And like in the book, I call it like my yellow wallpaper moment. Have you ever mm-hmm. read that short yes. story? The yellow wall? Like yeah. that was my moment. Like I was like, I felt, I went, I laid down, I was on fire, but I couldn't sleep. Like I was like mm-hmm. so exhausted and the anxiety was so high. Mm. And I was like, and I just like almost disassociated. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm having these racing thoughts. I got up, I had no shoes on. I walked outside, like, but like the grass was weird colors and it was like a kind of feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like super intense. Yeah. Like super intense. And I was like, where am I going to go? Like, I feel like I'm on fire right now. Like if I jump in this water, what will happen? Like it was, Mm. I was totally like disassociating, you know? And I had no one to call at that point. Uh, like my, I called my old therapist. She wasn't working anymore. And I got in touch. I had started with a new therapist and she fortunately was like, okay, this is, you know, you're having a panic attack. Like you need to like breathe through this. Like let's like, she like mm-hmm. kind of talked me down for a minute and she's <laughs> like, but you need to get in touch with your psychopharmacologist. So like, I remember, like I, I called my best friend who I had just met with my daughter like a year prior. Someone, oh, she's now my best friend at the time. She mm-hmm. was just like a close friend, a, a good friend. And I called her and I said, you know, I'm waiting to hear back from my doctor, but I'm really not doing well. Like, can you come to my house? And there was like a pile of wood. And I just remember I'm sitting on the pile of wood and she was on her way to like a really important job. Like it was like the first day on her job. And she, without, without hesitation, was like, I'll be there in a minute. And came That's super and like- cool. Yeah. And like sat next to me and I'm clearly like mentally out of it. You know, like I'm just not there. And she held my hand and she was like, it's going to be okay. Mm. You know? Wow. And it was the most amazing experience of my life because I didn't feel like I was going to be okay. Do you know what I mean? But just like my feet, like so far, all my craziness was within my immediate family, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go to a hospital. Like I was, I was afraid of being unemployable. I was afraid of not being able to like take care of my family. I was afraid of the stigma of mental yeah. health. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I, to tell her that and to, and to have her say, like, I love you and I'm going to be your friend anyway, you know? Oh, that's amazing. Sorry. No, yeah. that's, um, that's amazing. 
Like those are those moments where like the lifeline came when you needed it and it worked. Yeah. 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 And then I call her husband and he he was very funny. We always have like a funny joke and he was like, man, hormones a bitch. Right. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I love that you said that. You know what I mean? Like it just wasn't what I was expecting to be a reaction, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you say something that I thought was so embarrassing and so stigmatizing that he just like got it, you know? That's cool. And that was like the road to my recovery was that, you know, like I had a nice group of people that were gentle and that didn't, you know, that loved me anyway. You know, That's so powerful. Yeah, it, it, it was. And it's not always available. No. I'm like you had it when you needed it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and that's, and that was why I wrote the book. You know, I wrote a book about my experience because I recognize, um, I recognize my privilege, you know, mm-hmm. like I am, you know, upper middle class from an educated family, from, you know, a brother who worked, who's a doctor who works Mm. in medicine with friends, a supportive husband, like, right. Like I have guilt about how good I have it. Mm. And I could, and that could still happen to me. And I could still feel that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And And I know that like, there are people who don't have it, how I have it and have it, how, how I had it or worse. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I can, and so let that's that's my that's my mission. You know, I want to I want to like help people and let them know that there is hope and that there is a way out and that you know like if no one else is here for you, I'm here for you. Not in like mm. a professional. You need to go see a no, yeah, a yeah. medical professional. Do you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yeah. But like, I love you, and I will, and I'm yeah. here for you, and like I see you. You know. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And so needed what you're doing. And I mean, sharing your story, but writing the book and make, making it accessible. So, you know, like that the people can, can find it and read it and you sharing your story. This is, this is the lifeline for somebody else who's hearing yeah. themselves in your story and who is going to go get the help because they know exactly what you're describing. Even if it's not, not the same circumstances or the same oh, exact yeah intrusive thoughts or, or whatever this, like, this is why this is powerful. Like sharing the story is, is, this is real. Yeah. Super. Yeah. 
no, thank you for doing it. You know, it's very, you know, it's very helpful to, to share stories and, you know, to the capacity that you're able to hear it, right? Like if it's mm-hmm. like too triggering or it makes things yeah. worse, like obviously not good, but like, you know, to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's mm-hmm. resources and mm-hmm. we're getting so, we're so much better. Like we're so much yeah. better than we were yeah. 12 years ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. You know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Still some ways to go. And yeah. well, like con- considering what you've been through, you know, either if you were to tell somebody else who was going through the exact same thing or what you would kind of tell past you now, what are some things that you wish you would have known or you want people to know or to, to do or consider? So like goal, right? My mission here is to let people know that your phys- your mental health is your physical health, mm-hmm. right? Like if you had cancer, you wouldn't feel shame and hide from treatment, right? You would, you wouldn't vacillate about taking a pill or going to get chemo. I suffered for so long, tried everything. Like I cut out foods. Like I, I, you know, some of them were helpful, you know, Mm -hmm. like used essential oils. Like, I mean, like you name it, if it like whatever was on the back of a cereal box, I tried, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. But like, But like, I wouldn't take a pill. And I'm not saying that all. And like, I, like when I finally did, like, it was very hard. Like, it's not like a, yeah. here's a Tylenol. This is going to make it better. Like it's a yeah. process, but right. you have to like, you have to look at your mental health. It is your physical health. Mm-hmm. It is not something imaginary. It is not mm-hmm. something to feel stigmatized or embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. I have a generalized anxiety disorder that I will have for the rest of my life. I tried once I was in remission for like, Three or four years, I tried to get off of my SSRIs. I had Mm -hmm. titrated down. The second it was all out of my system, I relapsed like a hammer, like a guillotine Mm. relapsed. Like I will probably have to be on a pill for the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be. Every day, there's a little (sighs) thread that's like, maybe you could try. (laughs) You know, but like, And that's not everybody's story. Some people don't need it and some people will never need it. Some people need it for a little bit and come off. But like I, if I had diabetes, if I had high blood pressure, I wouldn't hide that from my mom's group. I wouldn't not say it in mixed company. Do you know what I'm saying? For sure. You wouldn't, you wouldn't hide the fact that you have to take like a Lipitor, Mm -hmm. right? You Mm -hmm. would just say it. Yeah. And it wouldn't feel that way. And that's where we are. Like, yes, there are some people who are over medicated and yes, medicine and the pharmaceutical companies and blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, all of <laughs> right. those things can be true. Right. Yeah. Yep. But at the end of the day, there are there time. It is life saving. Like mm-hmm. my quality of life, I have been able to be a better mother, which is, you know, the host of everything for my meaning of being is to be able to be a good mother yeah. what I can, and be a good person, be a good human mm-hmm. you know, and wife. And I'm able to do that because of medical treatments I received, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I can talk to everyone about it and not feel ashamed because I'm healthy. Cause it's hard to do that when you're healthy, yeah. when you're not healthy. Right. 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 But like, but when I'm healthy, like it's not embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like, when I tore my ACL, I wasn't like, oh, don't look at my brace. Uh, you know, like, it's serious. Right. You know, like, right. no, I crutched around, you know, like, that's what it is. Like, this is life, you know? Uh-huh. 
And that's what you need. And that's what we need to, that's where we need to get to as a society where we can give each other grace yep. and like recognize that there is a spectrum for mental illness mm-hmm. and that you can be anywhere on the spectrum in life. And at different points in life, you can be at different places on it as well, you know, yep. and that's like, that's, so true. And that's okay. And we need to give people grace and actually look at it as something that can be treatable, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like treat it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, sounds straightforward, but obviously <laughs> and a lot of people who've been on the journey know that it it, it can be hard to just get the help that you need sometimes. Well, um, of course. And, I, mm-hmm. and I've said this before, like, in, like I did a, a TEDx talk about this and I say it in there that like, if you, when you break your leg, you don't have to walk to the orthopedic on your broken leg. Right. Right. You can get a crutch or someone can carry you or you call an ambulance and they take you and you get the proper treatment. Yep. But with mental health, it's your brain that's trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's your brain you need to like look online, to call someone, to yes. talk to someone on yes. a phone, to know the questions that you have to ask, yep. to, to do all of these things. Like it all requires your brain and your brain isn't working well. Mm-hmm. So you're like, it's just so overwhelming. Like, I can't even tell you, like, I would stare at the phone and like, have to like go in my mind, okay, what kind of voice am I going to use so that I don't sound crazy? So Mm. that they take me seriously? What's the Mm. vocab I can use? Mm. I don't want them to take my kid. What can I like, I'm planning all of these things that I can say, right? And then when and like, it's just like, and that's not what you have to do with any other medical condition. And that's what makes it so difficult. And so unique at the same time. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you you said that so well. And I I hope that people who are listening can really hear that. It's 100% what you said. Like putting the burden on somebody who's struggling to to fix everything themselves and just like, just be better. Whatever those, you know, the quips are that people say, like snap out of it or whatever. That's not how this works. Uh, so I know you didn't give us all of your story in, in your book and that's, it's all written, written out there for everyone to read. And, and what is it called and where can people find it? So my book is called A Dance in the DSM, My Tango with Postpartum Depression, Anxiety and OCD. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and, you know, most places that, you know, you can buy books, they can order it as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it it tells my whole story, like in more detail, I try and like have the funny parenting stories and the reality of parenting as well kind of woven in. So it's not it's a story of hope. It's not just like it's intense at times, but it's not just like a big punch in the face of all the sad stuff (laughs) all at once. There's like, you know, there's 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 funny things that go on. I I think hopefully funny things that go on in between, too, that I try Mm -hmm. and interweave. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I mean, in the way you, you've told your own own story now, I am sure that the book is written in sort of the same voice as your, I appreciate that you're sort of able to bring lightness to things that for now feel lighter, um, but yeah. that there's also some real, some real depth and some real reality to your, your experience that at least, you know, sharing it with us here today, I'm, I'm sure is evident in the book as well. And yeah, I hope that everybody can, especially for people who have struggled. I have shared a little bit of my own story too with anxiety and depression and OCD uh, in postpartum and being totally shocked by it. It's brutal. It is 
it is brutal. And it's hard to know that uh, it's hard to feel rather that you're alone in it. So I, I hope that people can go and find your book and see parts of themselves represented there and feel just like all the things you're saying, just busting through this stigma and calling BS on all of it and just get the help you need. I love yeah. that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And it's, just, and you know, I, and that's kind of the title is, you know, it's a dance in the DSM. Like you don't have to live. I always joke, like, I don't have to live there. Like sometimes I'm, I'm, I am asymptomatic and mm-hmm. living like the dream. And sometimes I'm not, and I need some yeah. help and, you know, like I dance in and out totally. of it and that's, you know, I don't have to live there and yep. I'm not going to live out of it. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, Right. Well, it is, you know, that's life. It's ups and downs, you know, Absolutely. but there is going to be ups and you just have to hold on to that hope, you know? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's been a delight to talk with you and hear your story. And um, I just appreciate you sharing. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. I love all the short stories that you share and it's really important. Thank you. Please do connect with Jessica at jessicacuomo.com on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jessica Cuomo. And you can find her book. It's available everywhere online. For anyone who has experienced intrusive thoughts or perinatal mental health conditions, please know that you're not alone on this journey. There are so many of us who have been through something similar to what you're experiencing. And even if it's not exactly what you're going through, we really, really understand how hard it is. And we are hopeful for you on your healing journey. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.